0: Praise God! All right, so here we are once again, discipleship class number thirty-three. I was in a meeting earlier today, and uh, folks were asking me about the class and some of the different things that are that are winding down this time of year, school year, public school calendar, that sort of thing. And you know, it's kind of interesting to me that we are um, what tonight and three more classes. That's kind of hard to believe. This year has gone by pretty quickly for me, and. um, I'm realizing that the older I get, the faster the years go by. And uh, my dad explained that to me. He said, when you're seven years old, one year, you know, compared to your whole life is one-seventh. When you're 56 years old, one year of your life represents one-fifty-sixth of your life. And so it kind of gives you a different perspective on uh, the years zooming by. The other thing I think why years go by so fast for me now is like, it goes Christmas, New Year's, and then next thing you know, it's May. I'm like, what? You know, it's like all these early months seem to go by so fast in a calendar year. So, I guess what it all boils down to, if we're going to do something for Jesus, we need to get it done. Amen. Jesus said, "The night's coming when no man can work." So, but thank God, we still have some daylight left in this season, this age, if you will, of um, of God's master plan. And aren't you glad he's got more than 100-year plan for your life? Amen. He's got things for us to do beyond this life. As a matter of fact, I think in a lot of ways, you know, this life is is preparing us for for what's, you know, it's really all about. uh, And that comes next. Amen. And so, um, anyway, I'm excited about it. I'm glad that you are uh, with us tonight, those of you who are online, watching online, and those in the room. um, Let's pray. And we'll talk a little bit about the class and then get right into it. Father, how we love you, how we thank you. Uh, You loved us first. You pursued us. You sent Jesus to seek us out and and to provide salvation for us. And Lord, how thankful we are to be recipients of your gift of salvation, this abundance of grace and this gift of righteousness, Father, that's made us right with you, not based upon our performance, but based upon what Jesus has done for us and freely given to us and even what he has made us to be now. Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you that he's present in us, he's with us, he's upon us, and he's among us tonight. He's here to lead us and guide us into all truth. I believe, Father, that I have received utterance to give to these, your precious people. Lord, feed us from your living water and your holy word tonight. Lord, I thank you that we receive from you. And Lord, that we are growing up into Jesus in all things to be the ones who represent him to this world, Father, in a very real and meaningful way thank you father for life and peace tonight thank you for eyes to see ears to hear and hearts to understand in jesus name we pray and everybody said amen Amen and amen and amen all right so let's go back to the title slide we're gonna wrap up i didn't put it on the title slide we've got a little bit more to do on salvation terminology and we'll get to that here in just a moment and then we're going into a section that simply calls save to the uttermost that's actually from a bible verse and uh, some folks are familiar with that verse, but they don't really know what it means. It sounds kind of odd. I don't know when's the last time you've used the word uttermost in your uh, daily conversations, but uh, it is a very uh, important uh, Bible word. And so we'll uh, title the class that tonight, because what my plans are uh, in preparation is we're going to uh, take a tour of the book of Hebrews uh, as it relates to our salvation. And just again, understanding the new birth part six, laying that foundation, helping you understand what happened to you when you were born again, what it means to be a saved person, and what the Bible has to say about it. Uh, It's sad to me that a lot of folks know what their different denomination says about it, but, but not enough of God, let's just say it that way, not enough of God's people have taken the time to really find out what God has to say about it. And that's really our only, when I say our only interest, that might be an exaggeration. But as, as far as it, as it comes down to um, what we teach and talk about in here, is what, what does the Word say, right? What does the Word of God have to say about it? Because that's where we find uh, the truth. Amen? Amen? And so let's, um, let's look at that. We, last week, again, we talked about the, the different salvation terminology. The first one we looked at, just quick review is uh, propitiation, and it means to appease the wrath of God on account of sin. And we see that Jesus is our propitiation. He took the blame and the punishment for our sin so that we could be uh, set free uh, from the sin and from the wrath uh, that, that we deserved because of sin. And remember what He said in John, the third chapter, that if we have not believed on and received Jesus, that the wrath of God still abides upon that person. Then we looked at this word redemption, and redemption means a release secured by the payment of a debt or ransom, and of course we have in parentheses there prisoner or slave, and we were uh, enslaved to our flesh, we were enslaved to sin, we were enslaved to the law of God, and Jesus came to uh, pay that uh, release to set us free from those things, and we went through the, the whole explanation, and we'll look at it a little deeper tonight. The concept of not just him being these things uh, as opposed to providing them. He is this, not just providing this, but, and because of that, then we have what the scriptures call eternal redemption. And we use the example of, uh, you know, a family that had been redeemed out of slavery by a relative, you know, and and so he just finally went ahead and, and gave all the potential creditors so much money that they could never, ever get back in that position again and that's what Jesus has done for us one sacrifice for all sin for all time then we looked at justification justification means to declare innocent to acquit to declare righteous and the best way to understand what it means to be justified is just as if I had never sinned and we talked a little bit about Jesus doing what he did not only for us but for his father as well and we have a tendency sometimes to only look at salvation in light of what it means to us and what it means for us. But the Bible says that God has done this for you and has forgiven you for his sake, because our sin separated us from him and he, and he loves us and he did not want to, does not want to be separated from us. So when you start looking at this amazing grace and and this concept of eternal propitiation, eternal redemption, eternal salvation, eternal in, inheritance we try sometimes to understand those things based upon what we think we deserved and based upon, you know, denominational interpretations of of these things and, and not amazing grace, but rational grace without ever considering that father was willing to pay the price that he paid so that your sin and my sin would never separate us from him again. And, and, and that's really at the heart of our ability, I think, to understand these things because remember propitiation was necessary for redemption Um, And then redemption was necessary for justification, for you and I to be made right before God in the eyes of God. But all three of those lead up to what is really our our Father's heart, and that is reconciliation. Reconciliation, where Father God desires to be reconciled. Now, reconciliation means to reestablish a close relationship between. And we touched on this just a little bit at the end of last class. I want to try to get into it just a, a little deeper t- tonight. And then I know that a lot of you were not here when we first started, but we're, we're coming around full circle uh, at class 33. We were talking about reconciliation in class number two and class number three, okay? If, you, if anyone, I know some of you online have have been here for all of those uh, classes. Because the, the where we started in discipleship and discipleship being... Um, you know God's way of bringing the inward realities out and discipleship being the bridge between our salvation and the fulfillment of our destiny. And we said that the Scriptures teach that every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. Every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. One more time, every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. And the, and the work of the ministry that has been assigned to every born-again believer is what we find in Second Corinthians 5. It's called the ministry of reconciliation. Right. And what we see in Second Corinthians 5 as it relates to the ministry of reconciliation is that because we have been so thoroughly reconciled to God, God now wants to use us to see others reconciled uh, to him. Okay? Now, that's, that's huge right there because remember, anything that God does in you, he ultimately wants to do through you. Uh, now that you've been saved, He wants to use you to bring others to the knowledge of salvation. Once you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, He wants you to bring others to the, to the fullness of, of, of His Spirit uh, working and flowing through them. When you know, God heals you, He wants you to lay your hands on sick and sick people be healed. And So anything God does in you, has given to you, done for you, He also wants to do through you. And so one of the quotes that we looked at back in those early days when we talked about reconciliation and what that looks like and how it relates to discipleship, is from Dr. Neil T. Anderson. He said that God has a one-item agenda that can be expressed in one word, and that one word is reconciliation. We know that God created us to be one with us. Um, Adam and Eve, our forefathers, they chose, uh, and Mother, amen, they chose to uh, do things their own way. And remember, we've learned that their sin is what separated us from God and made us the enemies of God and, and all these other things. And so Jesus came to reestablish us back into that right relationship, that close relationship that Father always desired and always intended uh, to have uh, with us. And one of the beautiful things that we see is that the, the, the position that we now have with God is, is actually uh, a better position than Adam and Eve began with, okay? Um, Adam and Eve fell from a really high place. Uh, I'm not trying to be corny with this, but they didn't just roll off the back of a turnip truck. They, they fell from number two in the universe, right, just underneath God himself, And when we now have been reconciled back to God by the blood of Jesus, we're actually in a position (laughs) to where we can't fall. I know that that makes a lot of people nervous and a lot of people don't believe that. And that's okay. Uh, Just stay with me if you don't and make sure you hear everything before you, uh, you know, just base your opinions on these things uh, on what you've heard up until this point. All right. And I've often asked the Lord, I'm like, well, Lord, why why do we have that position? And and they didn't. Because remember, those who've been born, God, born again, the seed of God's life now, it, it abides in us, right? And our born-again spirit has become one spirit with God's spirit. You know, the, <laughs> these things are, Jesus said, when he comes to live in you, he'll live in you forever. Uh, he even said that if, if you go uh, and, and, and pay to have sex with a temple prostitute back to the church at Corinth, that they joined the members of God to the body of a harlot. You know, we we were told in church that, you know, if you break the speed limit, the Holy Spirit leaves you. And I'm telling you, He doesn't. That's why we we can't grieve Him by the things that we do. Because when He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, um, He didn't say, I'll never leave you for nor forsake you as long as you never make a mistake. Right? He's, he's with you. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. I mean, I just, again, I'm just going on and on and on and on. I mean, again, what does the Bible say? Not what does... The denomination say what does the Bible say right and remember so much of that confusion is over a failure to understand spirit soul and body your spirit has been saved your soul is being saved your body will be saved and because people don't understand that they they pick a side and then fight tooth and toenail to defend that 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 doctrinal position uh, to the end because they never consider that it could actually be all three at the same time and that's and that's what we have here our spirits have been born again we made one with God um, my identity in Christ, uh, <laughs> fellowship with God and my identity are not the same thing. Okay, I, Just like with my, my earthly father, I'm his son. There's nothing I can do to not be his son. Now, I can do things that would disturb my fellowship with him. I can do things that disappoint him. I can do things that grieve him. I can do things that make him angry. I can do things that frustrate him. I could, but I can also do things that make him pleased. I can also do things that 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 give him joy. I can also do things that are you following what I'm saying? But remember, we're talking about something new birth transcends behavior, right? Seed. Seed's the only thing that can change it. So we've been born again. I'm not sure I got so far down this road, but I've, somebody's pulling this out of me. Amen. Um, and so we you know, we. We have to lay hold of these things and we have to under, understand these things in, in light of, 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 what the, of what the Bible says. And so I asked the Lord, I'm like, Lord, why? It, it, you know, we, we, we have a relationship with you now that, that can't be severed. Uh, Adam had one that could be. And, and I'm like, Lord, you know, I'm looking for all these deep theological answers. And, and I think the answer was actually pretty simple. He said, anybody who has a relationship with me that can't be severed has to choose that. And so Adam had a choice, right? And he chose to leave God. Now, our choice was to come back to him and be reconciled to him uh, through a new and living way. And, and thank God we have been. Amen? Amen. Some of you are looking at me kind of strange. I know I just said a mouthful, but again, st- stay with me. Listen, the devil never wants you, he never wants you to be uh, uh, secure and confident in your salvation and in your standing with God. He always wants you to be second-guessing that. And he is such a liar. He is, he, is, he is such a deceiver. Okay, So to be reconciled means to reestablish a close relationship between. That's not possible without justification, and justification is not possible without redemption, and redemption is not possible without propitiation. But it's not propitiation for propitiation's sake. Do you understand what I mean by that? It's, per, it's propitiation for redemption's sake, and it's redemption for justification's sake, and it's justification for reconciliation's sake. So when Dr. Neil T. Anderson says God has a one-item agenda that can be expressed in one, one word reconciliation, uh, this is how Dr. Marky e. Winslet says, and I'm not a doctor, okay, but is, is that Daddy wants his kids back. Daddy wants his kids back. It's just that simple. He, he, he wanted us back, and, and, and he was willing to pay the highest price that could ever be paid to see that happen, all right? Now, let's look at some verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18, it says, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So notice, has reconciled us, has reconciled us. So whether we ever understand it, enjoy it, take advantage of it, are blessed by it or not, we have been restored into uh, a close relationship uh, with, with God. Amen. Um, I know it may be, uh, again, uh, a, a bit corny, but it makes the point, all right? So um, sometimes we say, like, we're really close to somebody. We say, man, me and so-and-so are just like this, right? And, and you hold two fingers together and put them real tight, okay? And sometimes, you know, we'll say, me and God are just like this. That's really not accurate, Okay. You and God are just like this, all mm-hmm. right? Because your born-again spirit and his Holy Spirit have become one spirit. We have been united together with him and have become one with him. And, and you know, it's like if I think we used this example when we taught on these things earlier, but if, if you take uh, one cup and, and pour uh, liquid from two different vessels into that one cup, then whatever's in that new cup now has become one. You, 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 you. In other words, it's hard to tell where in, in your born-again spirit where you end and He begins and where He begins and you end. Amen. That's that's the union that we now have um, with God. Amen. All right, let's keep looking at this. So have been, has reconciled us to Himself through uh, Jesus Christ. And because of that, has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Colossians chapter 1 in verse... Uh, Number 19, For it pleased the Father that in Him, in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell, and by Him, by Jesus, to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you... "...who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now..." Come on now. "...yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight." Okay? So if you've been born again, the price that Jesus paid for you, propitiation, redemption, justification, reconciliation was all so that he could now present you before God the Father holy and blameless and above reproach. In God's eyes, you are holy and blameless and above reproach, just as if you had never sinned. What Jesus has done for us and what he has given to us and what he has made us affords Father God the luxury of treating us now like our sin never happened. Okay, and that is glorious. One, see, one of the things, and I, we didn't really talk enough about this, and maybe we will as we wind down in some of these future classes, the ones we have remaining. But we, so many born-again people are still more sin-conscious than they are righteousness-conscious. We, this is where you get these absolute false statements like a sinner saved by grace. Notice how Satan never wants you to, to make the distinction, all right? So if you were a sinner, and we all were, and you have been saved by grace, you are no longer a sinner, but you have now been, been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But see, Notice how Satan wants us to be double-minded in these things where we, we try to see ourselves as both at the same time. And what does the Bible say in the book of James about a double-minded person, unstable in all their ways? So I was once a sinner but i've been saved by grace and because I've been saved by an abundance of grace and I've received a gift of righteousness that made me right before God in the eyes of God, I am now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and so the more my mind is renewed to these things i let's praise god let's let's do this it keeps jumping up so let me I know I need to do it so let's go back all the way back to where in the beginning we talked about reconciliation and we said that the ministry of reconciliation takes on uh you know, two different uh, uh, elements are two different, uh, uh, I forget the right word here. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Um, one is the ministry of, uh, of, you know, the Word of God as it relates to salvation. Okay, because that, that is what removes enmity between God and man. Remember the drawing, enmity between, that separated us from God. Salvation removes that enmity. But we also said that enmity, which remember enmity is a difference of opinion all the way up to violent hatred. So it's disagreement with God. and then, But remember we also said that when we fail, it wasn't just enmity that separated us from God in between our born-again spirit and God. But it was also enmity then came inside of us and, and, and made us enemies of God is what he says here. By, notice in verse 21, Colossians I'll put it back up on the screen, chapter chapter 1, verse 21, and you who once, notice past tense, once were alienated and enemies, we were enemies of God. I know people don't, oh, I was really an enemy of God, Pastor Mark, I am just doing what I want, no, you're an enemy, it was an enemy, we were enemies of God in our minds by wicked works, yet now, now he has reconciled us. So when we talk about reconciliation, here's, the, here's one of the most simple, basic ways that, and 19 years ago, maybe it carried a little more weight when we first started this than it does today because things have gone so much digital and online. But if you can understand the concept of reconciling a checkbook, anybody reconciling a checkbook. So let's you know, you got your debit card, and, and of course that comes out of your checking account, and and um, then you know you you've got in your mind on the on the registry checkbook registry where you keep a record of it. You know how much money you think you have, and then the statement comes. And it tells you what you really have, and when you reconcile it is when you bring what you thought you had into agreement with what you actually have. That's reconciling uh, a checkbook, okay? So this ministry of reconciliation is our coming into harmony, our coming into oneness, our coming into agreement with God. This is reconciliation, right? So when we're born again, that occurs at the real you level of your existence your spirit okay that happens instantly instantly you're one with god but then we see that you are a spirit but you have a soul anybody remember what your soul is your mind emotions and your will right your thinking your emotions and your choices well that part of you was not born again that part of you is a work in progress and so discipleship could be characterized. I mean, if we're going to simplify discipleship, discipleship is the process where our, our thinking comes into agreement with and alignment with our born-again spirit and God, right? Where, where we think like he thinks. We see things the way he sees them. And that's a work in progress. That is discipleship. That's really what spiritual growth is all about we call it spiritual growth but it wasn't a baby jesus that came to live inside of you when you were born again it was the resurrected glorified lord who came to live inside of you right christ in you the hope of glory is 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 who now lives in you so spiritual growth is actually the the renewing and the reconditioning of the mind coming into alignment with the born again spirit amen so we, when we talk about this, this, this concept of, of reconciliation, having, you know, we have now been reconciled, okay? That's talking about the, the completed work and your born again spirit. But so that's the one branch. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Two branches of the ministry of reconciliation. So ministry of reconciliation and, you know, branch one, branch two. Right? Salvation is one branch of the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, discipleship is the second branch. Of the ministry of reconciliation. And so a minister of reconciliation helps bring other people into agreement with God. Don't way overthink it, okay? <laughs> that's, that's what we've been doing now for 32 and 32 classes and 38 minutes, right? Is is you know, working together with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Word of God to bring ourselves into greater alignment with and greater agreement with and greater harmony with God. And notice, man, the more we think like he thinks the more we see things the way he sees them especially the more we see ourselves the way he sees us it's life changing it's life changing right the more we think and and learn how to talk the way he talks and praise god it's a it's a beautiful glorious thing You know, there were times in, over the years that I thought they made a mistake, but every time, guess what? Now, you know what? I'm going to take that back. One time, they did. One time, the bank made a big mistake. They put a zero. They put one too many zeros on something that began with five, right? And so instead of 500, it was 5,000. And, yeah, it wasn't good, okay? It wasn't good at all. But anyway, um, but they made it right. But anyway, praise God. Um, they didn't give me the 5,000, but they did, um, uh, yeah, they did fix all the all the checks that bounced because of their error. Uh, anyway, praise God. Anyway, that's all right. All right so you still with me? Come on with it. Can you please reiterate what you said? He said bring big in agreement with God in a simple way. Is that what you say? Yeah, I mean that that's what Ministry of Reconciliation is. I mean it's a really fancy title. And and so if we were and when y'all go back and listen to those classes because you want to get thirty out of thirty six for your certificate. okay then but you'll you'll see where we talk about that so in order for us to be effective in the ministry of reconciliation the bible says that god has committed to us his word of reconciliation right so that becomes the the tool uh how, how do we know it's the the word of god is the is the bank statement right it's it's what's truth it's what's it's what's up and so are coming into alignment with and agreement with. And so that's where, you know, the Holy Spirit gave me that statement years ago best advice I could ever give anybody agree with God and agree with Him quickly. Yeah. You know, the, the longer you drag your feet agreeing with Him, it's, it's just prolonging whatever misery that you're enduring. But oh, the, the harmony and the oneness, right? Because enmity, by the way, we use that word enmity, not enemy, enmity. That's the difference. That's the lack of, of harmony. That's the, that's the uh, you know, disagreement. Um, and if you, you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, every every second of suffering that has ever been endured on this planet has been because humankind has decided to not agree with God and agree with this world and agree with the devil and agree with God's enemy and agree with their desires and agree with their flesh and all this other stuff, right? So not trying to oversimplify it, but it's really not as complicated as religion sometimes makes it out to be. Now, I want us to spend just a minute or two with this verse 22 because this is... When you really dig into this, there's a lot of layers here and every one of them is glorious. So when it says in the body of his flesh through death, this is Jesus dying for you. He did all of this so that he could present you, right? Present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. So first of all, let me give you this verse in a couple of different translations. First of all, uh, Colossians 1 and 22 from the God's Word translation It says, but now Christ has brought you back to God by dying in His physical body. He did this so that you could come into God's presence without sin, without fault, or blame. Okay? Amen. So quit blaming yourself. Amen. Praise God. All right. Colossians 1 and 22 from the New Living Translation. Yet now, He has reconciled you to Himself through the death of Christ in His physical body. As a result... He has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and you are blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. (laughs) Come on now. Come on now. Because let me tell you, when we get to when we get to Hebrews in a moment, we're going to look at what has perfected you. okay? made you complete. So let's now Young's literal. This is a literal translation of the original language, Colossians 1 and 22. In the body of his flesh through the death to present you holy and unblemished and unblameable before himself. Okay. Colossians 1 and 22. It gets gooder and gooder. Colossians 1 and 22. This is the Passion Translation. Even though you were once distant from Him, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions, He reconnected you back to Himself. He released His supernatural peace to you through the sacrifice of His own body as the sin payment on your behalf so that you would dwell in His presence. And now there is nothing between. And now there is nothing between. And now there is nothing between. Between you and Father God, for he sees you as holy, flawless, and restored. Okay. Now, as awesome as those translations are, let's just really get down to what the words actually mean. Holy means pure, set apart, it and literally means that you are a saint. And notice now that the, the letters, the epistles, are written to the saints. See, we, we have this idea of a saint, like, you know, is some denomination voted on them into sainthood, or we think that it's some grandmother who taught Sunday school for 40 years, and oh, man, she's such a saint. No, if you're a born-again man or a woman, you are a saint of God. Amen. Come on now. Saint Joel, come on now. Saint Misty, Saint Cherie, I, that, that's, that's us. It's who you are. See, now now notice now, this is who you are in His sight. Who are you in your sight? That's the problem, isn't it? We don't see ourselves the way He sees us. We don't have the same image of ourselves that He has of us. So holy means pure, set apart, literally a saint. Blameless means without spot or internal blemish. Okay, I'm literally looking these words up. I mean, I'm giving these words to you from the uh, original language, and then above reproach means without accusation, and also includes unaccusable, unaccusable. See, it, it's one thing. All right, so see, some people say, okay, so the blood of Jesus has made me clean. It's made me pure. No, it, it has, but it's done more than that. It's not only made you pure. It's made you without any spot or internal blemish, okay? And it's even more than that. It's put you in a position where no one can even bring an accusation against you, okay? That you are in the eyes of God. Listen to me now. Get this. In the eyes of God the Father, you are unaccusable. Amen. You he, he won't even entertain an accusation against you. Now, who's the accuser of the brethren? The devil is, right? But now that you have been washed by the blood of Jesus, you are holy without spot or internal blemish and are in a place where you are without accusation. There's no accusations, no outstanding charges. And not only that, immune from being charged. Immune from being accused. God won't even entertain an accusation against you. Now, we, we think that sounds extreme, but it's backed up in other places in the Scriptures. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, has blessed, not will, has blessed us. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him he chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. This is what God's always wanted. He's wanted you to have standing with him holy, blameless, above reproach, unaccusable, without any accusation being leveled against you, all right? Now, if let's just Romans 8 breaks it down even further. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? Now, this is important because every strategy, every tactic. Man, if you don't hear anything else I say tonight, you need to hear me say this. Every tactic, every strategy that the devil, and we know he's a schemer. The wiles of the devil, wily coyote, always trying to get the road runner. The devil's always plotting against you. He's always strategizing against us. He's always scheming against us. But every plot, every scheme, every strategy, every wile of the devil has one goal, and that one goal is to get you to respond in a way that he wants you to respond. Okay. And so when he says, "What shall we say to these things? What shall we say to these things? What is he asking?" He said, "How are we going to respond?" How are you going to respond to the things that you face, to the things that you deal with, but also to the things that have been done for you and the things that have been given to you? So he says, what shall we say to these things? He goes, how about, how about this? When the devil starts asking you all these questions, why don't you ask him one? If God's for me, who can be against me? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The Bible is clear about it. God has withheld no good thing from us. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. We just looked at that verse. The same Bible that says He has blessed you says that He has given to you all things that pertain to life and godliness. The same Bible that says He has given you all things that pertain to life and godliness says that He has given to you not the spirit of the world, but He has given you the spirit who comes from God so that you might know the things that have been freely given to you by God. This idea that God's holding out on us—that sometimes you know God just says no or wait or later—all the promises of God are yes and amen. All the promises of God are are yes and so be it. He talks about them in terms of past tense. By His stripes you were healed. Were healed. Whew, getting stirred up here, okay? So if He did, so what are we going to say to this? You know, what are we going to say to to pastors who get on TV and say, well, healing's not for today. If He spared not His only Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how will He not now, with Jesus sitting at His right hand, not freely give us all things, especially the things that Jesus paid such a high price for us to have? Now watch this next one, verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies who is He who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. What is He saying? He's saying the reason, the reason that you are unaccusable is because the only one qualified to bring accusation against you is the one who died for you, the one who rose again for you, the one who, seated at, who is seated at Father's right hand, ever living to make intercession for you. Remember now, Jesus took the last excuse we all had away from us, which was nobody's, not fair God, nobody, no human being ever lived a perfect life on planet earth. Jesus did. But He didn't do it so that He could bring accusation against you. He did it so that He could make you blameless and holy and unaccusable and present you that way before God the Father because that's how God the Father always intended for us to be, holy and without blame before Him in love. And so Jesus fulfilled this great desire in, in the heart of God for God's children to stand before Him holy, blameless, unaccusable, right? And so what is He saying? He's like, who... Who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? The only one qualified to bring accusation against you is the God who justified you. Let me say it another way, okay? Let me say it another way. The only one qualified to bring charges against you is your defense attorney. Do <laughs> what I'm saying? You're, I'm sure nobody in this room, but you probably know somebody that's been to court a quarter time or two, right? Okay? And so you've got the, you've got the prosecutor... You've got the, by the way, adversary, your adversary, the devil, that literally means uh, a prosecutor, right, who brings charges. So you've got the prosecutor, and then you've got the defense. And the prosecution is the one who has the, the authority to bring the charges. The only one in this court that's, that's qualified to bring or allowed to bring or qualified to bring a charge against you is your intercessor, your advocate, the one defending you. So do you see now why he says you're unblameable, you're unaccusable, you're without blame, you're without fault, without internal spot, without internal blemish, and unaccusable. You not <laughs> uh, how many more times I need to say it? It just but amen. 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 Quit looking over your shoulder. I'm talking about you. I'm not talking about somebody behind you. Talk about, see, well, who's he talking about in here? <laughs> talking about you. Amen. Oh, this blesses me. Praise God. I, I've said this in different points and junctures throughout all this teaching, and I'm going to say I think it deserves to be said here again. Let's not forget, okay, um, this was God's idea, right? The Bible says he does all things according to the counsel of his own will. He didn't, he didn't consult, you know, some panel of humans to see, you know, get some kind of, um, you know, survey. You know, um, he didn't say like, hey, guys, you know, if I was to maybe get around one day to making a covenant between you and me, what, what would y'all like to be included? He, he didn't ask any of us this, right? He came up with every bit of this himself. It wasn't like I demanded this. Are you following what I'm saying? It wasn't, I'm being a little bit sarcastic here, but just stay with it. It wasn't like I went to God. I'm like, look, God, if you're interested in being reconciled, if, you're, if you want to bury the hatchet, if you want to have a relationship with me let, me, let me tell you what it's got to be, okay? You're going to have to get rid of all my sin, and you're going to have to make me blameless without any internal spot or blemish. As a matter of fact, I, it, it, for, the only way it will ever work is if you fix it so I can't ever even be accused again. I didn't ask for this. I mean, any deal that kept me out of eternity in hell, I would sign off on, right? This was, this was his plan. Are you understanding? See, people get all frustrated with this. and all right, all right. I, didn't, I didn't ask for this. I didn't demand this. I didn't negotiate this. Jesus did this for me. So my place is to say, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. I will do my very best to live my life in light of what you've done for me, and who you've made me, and what you've given to me. Amen. Not argue with him. <laughs> Bible don't mean that. I can't. There's no way. I, you don't know what I did. I say again, just agree with God and agree with Him quickly. He's better than you know. Amen. He loves you more than you can comprehend. Amen. 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 It's good to be saved, isn't it? Isn't it good to be saved? We have a saying right here at Heritage, it's good to be free. And, you know, free from sin, free from the devil's reign over us, free from death, free from religious bondage. It's good to be free. Truth will make you free. Amen. Amen. So, Jesus is our propitiation, redemption, and justification because each of these are necessary for our reconciliation. And the key point is Jesus didn't just provide these things, as we've already said, for us, but He is these things. Now, let's look at this saved to the uttermost. So we're going to work our way through Hebrews, um, and the Holy Spirit's going to help us be just deeply engaged in the the Word. (laughs) Amen. Um, As we've said many times throughout our you know, time together in the course of our study. Each one of these classes has a little different flavor and 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 you know, subject matter and things this, of this nature. But but one of the things that we do, and uh, and it's and it's interesting because I was in a class Tuesday morning, and there was a brother sitting. Some of you were in that class there was a brother sitting over on the far section over here, and and uh, and he was just you know shouting out just random thoughts and questions, you know. And um, and it, it and listen, they, they were good. Random, you know, unrelated to what we're talking about, but good. But every one of them, I thought, dude, if you'd only been discipleship class, you know, i mean, I've looked at Jev and I'm like, I said, how long we spend on that discipleship class? You know, how quiet our brother. He just kind of did three, four hours. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's it, man. So, praise God. Um, But that's why we take the time that we have in here to actually look at what the Bible says. Look at what the Bible says. Now, the book of Hebrews is one of the most unique books in all the Bible, and all of them have their own different purpose and reason for existing, inspired by the Word of God, inspired by the Spirit of God, rather, the Word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. But the difference between Hebrews and, let's say, First and Second Corinthians, or for that matter, the difference between Hebrews and any other of the epistles, is that the book of Hebrews is not to the church of Hebrews Romans is, is to the church at Rome, to the saints at Rome. Ephesians is to the church at Ephesus. Hebrews is an open letter to the Hebrew. Hebrew means Jewish. An open letter to Hebrew or Jewish people. Now there's a lot of truth in here. Please hear me. There's a lot of truth in here for born-again believers. Things that are, are, are awesome and wonderful and glorious But if we think that the book of Hebrews is only written to men and women who have been born again, we are going to reach some very wrong conclusions about some of its difficult passages. For example, Hebrews 6. People point to that and say, see, you can lose your salvation. The false assumption is that he's talking to people who have already been born again. And he's not. He's talking to Jewish men and women who tasted of the earthly ministry of Jesus. They experienced firsthand eyewitness to the heavenly gift, but have yet to invest saving faith in Jesus. They have yet to receive Jesus as their Messiah, as their Savior. We literally, I'm not, I don't think we have time to do it this year, okay? But literally, this is wall to wall. Back when the classes were a full two hours, it, it took two hours to go through. All of that to paint this bigger picture. So I'm just asking you, again, study it out for yourself. I'm not trying to treat you like you don't know how to study, okay? But even the part about putting Jesus to an, crucifying him again and putting him to an open shame, what he's literally saying there is if I could give you the, the New England International translation of that, he's literally saying, at least the Romans had enough decency to take him off the cross and bury him you have left him hanging is literally what they're saying because they they won't make up their mind either way they experienced the earthly ministry of jesus but but they're really not sure that he was the messiah and and so because they just keep languishing how how long halt you between two opinions that they've literally just left jesus hanging on the cross and so there's a lot to that and there are a lot of things that people look at. But again, the key thing is, if you read that passage thinking that he's talking to people who have already received salvation, then it's very easy for you to reach the wrong conclusion that this means that you can lose your salvation. That's not thats not what any of that is about. Okay. Now, yes? Was that kind of stuffy to? Like, who he was talking to? Like, if, if I'm, when, when I'm reading, I mean, they were stuffy. Stuffy is a polite way of saying it. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> they, were, they were elitist. Elitist. I, I, I So, so I personally believe that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. We don't know for sure. But but the the the, the individual, um, some say that, you know, uh, Priscilla wrote it, and the reason there's no name on it is because they wouldn't have received it from, from a woman. It was either the Apostle Paul, or, you know, why am I even talking about this? Because it, it, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter, okay? Okay. Um, but clearly the, the, it, it aligns with the writings, other writings of the Apostle Paul. Um, but the same Holy Spirit could have revealed it to somebody that we won't know till we get to heaven. But the bottom line of it is this. The book of Hebrews was written to the Hebrew people with a specific target in mind. And that was because a lot of these people, they had experienced the earthly ministry of Jesus. A lot of them have already died. And, and they're getting up in eight. And so one of the, not the only, but one of the main focuses of the book of Hebrews is to try to reach people who experience the earthly ministry of Jesus, but have not yet. So, how shall we escape if we neglect our greatest salvation? Right. What are you guys gonna? There's, in other words, he's like, "This is the Messiah, and you either gonna get on this bus, or there's not going Are you not gonna get on any bus because there's not another bus coming? There's not another Messiah coming, right? So, if you if you read the book of Hebrews with that understanding, and so this is why he is addressing. The Holy Spirit through the writer of Hebrews is addressing some of the main hiccups and hangups that people had in accepting Jesus. And one of those was that um, that the Messiah would be the great high priest. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. He was not from uh, the tribe of Levi. So since he wasn't uh, of the Le- Levitical priesthood then he couldn't be. Just all these things. And so especially those earlier uh, chapters of Hebrews he's addressing all of these concerns and he's like, listen, he, he's from the order of Melchizedek. He's not from Levi. He's, he's, the, he's the priest that abides forever. You know, he's taking all of these individual arguments and hiccups and hangups that people had and addressing them masterfully and skillfully with, with passages from the Old Testament weaving them in. Okay, So along with all of that he is explaining why the Old Testament priesthood and animal sacrifice uh, system is uh, was not enough and is now become obsolete because we have an eternal high priest and he was one sacrifice for all sin for all time. And so right alongside that, he's showing them how Jesus didn't come to do away with all that, but he came to be the fulfillment of all of that. Okay, so let's begin chapter 7, th- then we'll drop back into 2. And we'll kind of work our way through some key passages. Are you excited about it? Yes. All right, good deal. All right. So, um, And listen, I, I don't like sometimes to just do the Bible this way because um, I don't want you to think like I'm just cherry picking stuff and deliberately intentionally skipping over things. That's why I mentioned what I did about Hebrews 6 because, you know, it's like, well, he, he just left that out like it's not even in there. No, it's, I'm, I, that's not what I'm trying to do here. But we're studying our topic. Remember, our subject is understanding the new birth understand the new birth. And so that's why we're we're gonna look at some of the you know very specific um passages. Uh earlier when it changed from sin and evil to sinful nature. Again sinful when, nature. when you understand that now you, you your eyes are open to it and it unlocks it. Yeah. And and when you drill down into it, like even and listen I in my early years of preaching and teaching you know where he talks about not laying again the foundation repentance from dead works and all those other things Just, you know baptisms, doc, all this other stuff again you look at all that and you. Th- so how many times have I talked back in the early days of, of me teaching and learning and growing and developing you know a whole series on those things but what he's literally saying is all of those things are the old system when he says not laying again He's saying, let's, let's quit repeating that and move on to what's new. He's saying literally abandon it. You think, whoa, hold on a second. That's strong language, okay? Um, but the old ways of doing these things, right? See, he, he talks about not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Old system is repentance from dead works. New system is repentance towards God, Right? Old is repentance from; new is repentance to. Christ Jesus. All right, so I'm not just cherry picking verses, but the key thing is we're talking about our salvation, and we see it uh, so beautifully presented here. Um, and right, so let's we'll jump in at seven, and then we'll drop back to two, and then work our way through to some other things. Okay, but let's begin at verse number fourteen, Hebrews chapter seven and verse fourteen. It says, For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. Right? Because the Son is uh, eternal, He lives forever. So, so again, I'll try to break away from this vein for, as we work our way through, but amen. But let me just go back to it. <clears throat> They're saying, look, Mo- Jesus can't be the Messiah, Moses, No, hold on, dude. You know, we're talking about something here that goes beyond this. We're talking about an endless life, right? This, this is what authorizes him, empowers him to be the fulfillment and to be the Messiah. For he testifies, verse 17, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So he's pulling it out of the Old Testament, right? For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. Now, this is one of the things that we're going to highlight along the way. And... Um, there's a few other words in just a minute I'll tell you I want you to be looking for as we go through some of the verses that we, that we go through. But this word perfect is, is one of those words. And this word perfect means perfected, perfect. Um, in, the, in the Greek it's the word teleos and it means something that is, that is full, that's, that's complete, that's, that's well-rounded. And so um, he says the law, that's the Old Testament system, it says it, it could make nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope, speaking of what Jesus came to do for us, right, through which we draw near to God. All right, same chapter. Let's go to, um, now to verse 23. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. So, you know, you'd have a priest that would serve and then he would die and another priest would come and serve and he would die and there were many, right? But Jesus, what, one priest, For all people, for all time, okay? And there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But He, because He continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood, speaking of Jesus. Therefore, He is able, Jesus is able, to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, "...undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Who does not need daily, he does not need daily as those former high priests, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself." For the law appoints as high priest men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been, and there it is again, He has been perfected forever. Now, there's this phrase, save to the uttermost. Remember now, Jesus is our propitiation. Jesus is our redemption. Jesus is our justification. And Jesus is our reconciliation, As born-again men and women who were born from death, right, we are now in Christ, amen, no longer in Adam, born of the corrupted seed of Adam. We've been born of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God. We've been born from above. We've been born of His seed. We've been born of the Spirit. His seed of life, eternal life now, abides in us. Just like if you break open the apple, the seed of the apple's in there. If you break open your spirit, the seed of God's spirit, the seed of his life is in there. Okay? So because of this, he says, we have been saved to the uttermost. Saved to the uttermost. And, and th- let's go back to it. Propitiation, because our propitiation is a person an eternal being, the eternal Son of God, we will always have propitiation. We will always have redemption. We will always have justification. We will always have reconciliation. Because we're in Christ, right? And Christ is in us. But remember, Jesus is in the Father, and the Father's in Him. So we're in Jesus, and Jesus is in us, and Jesus is in the Father, and the Father's in Jesus. Amen? We're like, if God's an ocean, we're the, we're the, the, the bottle, right? And, and the bottle's in the ocean, and the ocean's in the bottle. Amen. So he says because of this, he is able to save to the uttermost. Save to the uttermost. What does uttermost mean? I'm glad you asked. Save to the uttermost means completely holy, like W-H. Now we are holy, H-O-L-Y, but this in this, it's the W-H-O-L-L-Y. Uttermost means completely, wholly, entirely, forever. Saved to the uttermost. Amen. I have been saved to the uttermost. What does that mean? I have been completely saved. I have been entirely holy, and forever saved. This is what it means. To, listen now. I know that. Let's talk for a minute. Okay. We're about to get into some stuff that people. It's it's it's. Very um, contentious subject. Amen. A very contentious subject. And, um, you know, somebody inevitably says, so Pastor Mark, you believe in once saved, always saved. I actually believe in once born, always born. Okay. (laughs) Amen. Right? Right? Because once you're born, you can't be unborn. You can't be unborn. See, if we don't understand what salvation is, we don't understand the new birth. It's very easy for somebody to convince us that we can be unsaved. Because you didn't act saved. That was a very unsaved action. Well, maybe so. But it's not my behavior that made me saved. It was Jesus' behavior that made me saved. Amen. Amen. I've been born again a child of God. Now, as a child of God, I can cut a fool and do things that will shorten my physical life. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. And miss out on things that God would have me do in this life and rewards that he would have me uh, receive in the next life because of what I did in this life. Amen. Amen. I was I was raised Southern Baptist, and my Southern Baptist brothers, you know, taught me about salvation and eternal security. And then I I went, uh, my family, when I was 11 years old, we went to uh, Pentecostal church. And I, I thank God for my uh, Southern Baptist brothers and sisters, and and you know we're one body of Christ. I mean, it's different denominations or whatever, but just one body of Christ. And the things that they taught me, the things that I, that I learned from them as, as a child in Sunday school, in church, I was born again, I was baptized in water. Um, but the, the Baptist church that I was raised in, they believed that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was, and I've mentioned this in, in earlier classes, but they believed the baptism of the Holy Spirit was, was not for today and, and that if you spoke in tongues today, or any of the other supernatural gifts of the Spirit were operating, that that it was the devil, that that it wasn't of God. Okay, And so then I go to the Pentecostal church, and there I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in unknown tongues, and I experience the nine gifts of of not all of them, but different ones, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, prophecy, all these things, you know. That my Baptist brothers said they weren't for today, that they had passed away. Well, they were wrong about that, right? And so I tended, the pendulum then, I I tend to swing away from Southern Baptist doctrine about salvation because, see, then my Pentecostal brothers told me that if you sin after you're saved, you're just as bound for hell as you were before, right? And and that, that, um, You know, I remember the pastor. I remember once, I was just a young guy, you know, and the pastor was talking about he was in somebody's home and he needed a razor blade and he borrowed the razor blade and and forgot to take it out of the razor and put it back and that he realized later that, that, that he had stolen that razor blade and, and now something as thin as a razor blade was going to send him to hell. And I remember thinking, oh, my goodness gracious, I think I probably went to the altar that Sunday. You know, I'm like, Whoa, <laughs> You know, cause that was innocent. You know, I mean, he didn't even mean to do that. You know, what I'm saying, but but that was what they believed. Now, watch this, because because my Baptist brothers were wrong about the baptism of the Holy Spirit back in those days. And my understanding now that a lot of Southern Baptist folks have, have come around to what the Word says about that. So I'm not listen. I'm not judging anybody. Just hear what Pastor Mark's saying. Okay, love, love. Okay, <laughs> um, but then I just went hook, line, and sinker on what my my Pentecostal brothers taught me about salvation and um, so it turns out <laughs> that my Baptist brothers were right all along about the salvation part and my Assembly of God brothers were right about the baptism of the Holy Spirit part while the opposite was true, my Southern Baptist brothers were wrong about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and my Pentecostal brothers were wrong about about the salvation part now you say, well who in the world do you think you are Pastor Mark, let me tell you who I think I am, I know I am, okay there was a point in my life when I was in full-time ministry, and there was a point in my life when I wasn't anymore, and that's a long story, and it's not edifying, and I'm not going to tell it, and, and it was one of the most hurtful things I've ever been through in my life. You know, my wife and I had sacrificed a lot of money and a lot of things to be in full-time ministry, and we were chewed up and spit out by it, and, and I just, i never forget when I was let go from a full-time ministry position. My wife and I were across the street cooking dinner for the church, of all things, and we just had our second, John Mark was just a baby, and um, and I went across. How am I going to tell my wife? You know, and and she looked at me and she said, "Well, what are we going to do?" And I heard myself say, "I'm going to start a cabinet business." And I was done with it. I don't. I'm not proud of this. And God's mercy and His grace. And thank you, Lord, for loving me through it and being patient with me. Um, but I was done with it because if 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 what I had experienced up until that point was ministry, it wasn't for me. And um, the politics and the. People pleasing and all that stuff, and just and I came out of my mama's womb looking for somebody to please. But I just I just found out you can't please people. You can't please everybody. But I sure tried. But anyway, it didn't work. And um, and so I was through with it. And my my mission in life then became to be uh, I was going to be a wealthy businessman, and I was going to um, fund missions efforts. It's, it's something that we do to this day. Uh, is to try to get the gospel to people who've never heard the name of Jesus a single time. We do a lot of that here at Heritage um, with people that we partner with. Um, And then just follow the mercy of God one day when I stood before him for not pastoring or preaching and teaching. Well, you know, that tooled along for a while, and I was like, "Nah, that's, you know, my my heart, I wanted, you know. I was never suicidal, and I'm hesitant to say this because I don't. I don't mean it this way, but my wife put the kids to bed one Saturday evening. And she came downstairs and she saw the look on my face, and I started crying, and she started crying. And I told her, I said, I said baby, I don't want to live and not preach. I mean, I, it's, I, it's, it's in me to do it, and i got to do it, you know. And, but, but here's the thing, okay? So I, I don't have an ax to grind with anybody, but I just simply went before God, and I said, Lord, I want to know the truth. If I don't teach it to anybody else but my own children— I want to know the truth about these things because what I know is that some of the most major influential denominations on the face of the earth uh, disagree about this. And somebody is right and somebody's wrong, and and I want to know because there's only one truth, and I just simply want to know the truth. And that's when he really began to teach me these things, the apple, the orange, all, all these things. Seed determines the nature of a thing. That's why you must be born again. And, and so that that's where I'm coming from. I've actually preached what I call grace here at Heritage and salvation, and what the Bible says about it. And I've had families leave the church because they disagreed with it. I had one mom tell me that um, e- even after I tried to explain to her, and she goes, "Well, what you're saying may be right, Pastor Mark, but I want my children to be scared to do wrong." I was like, mm, "Oh, sweet Jesus, help us, Lord." Right? You know. And and I don't. This is going to sound arrogant. I, I don't. I don't. Mean it, arrogant. There's a lot that I don't know, and there's a lot that I don't understand. But I've had people who've disagreed with me about this, and I actually knew their argument better than they did. You know, they thought I was wrong, and they were telling me why they thought I was wrong. I'm Like, well, if you really wanted to make this argument, you could bring this verse. but anyway, you know. But and anyway, <laughs> you know, I don't mean that. I just I'm just telling you. Okay, this is this is not. Jesus came to do two things for you. He came to take away your sin, not forgive, take away your sin, and to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And it's differences of opinion over those two things that have brought division to the body of Christ more than any other subjects, more than any other topics, right? Think about it for a moment. Think about it for a moment. Um, Different denominations are more likely to agree on demonic possession and casting out demons than they are to agree on what the Bible teaches about salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the initial evidence of speaking in tongues that, because that 's what Jesus came to do for us and that 's as a matter of fact, I would even say to you that in the same way that it 's not propitiation for, for, for propitiation 's sake it 's not salvation just for salvation 's sake. God wanted you to be saved so you would be qualified to be filled to overflowing with his spirit. Amen. Right. And so the devil is the one who uh, wins when God's people are confused and argue and bicker and and fail to even consider what the Bible says and teaches about these things. Okay. so you don't listen to me now. you, You don't have to agree with me or believe what i believe i can't make you agree with me i can't make you and that's what i'm here to do all right what i'm here what i am here to do is i'm here to try to show you what the bible says about these things and and ask you to consider that maybe god is actually even better than you've ever dreamed or imagined that he was and that what he paid such a high price to do for you and to make you and to give you is is not something that's very flimsy and weak and fragile but is actually greater than and more powerful than and much richer than and much deeper than any sin that ever separated you from him in the first place. Because where sin does abound, grace does barely more abound, neck and neck, photo finish. No, much more abound, much more abound. If he died for us while we were yet sinners, how much more now that we're actually born again and in his family if he, if he, see, we think when God demonstrated his love for us um, on the cross, we think that was the greatest demonstration of God's love. Or that was the extent of God's love. Listen to me, please. The love demonstrated for humankind by Jesus dying on the cross is a demonstration of God's love for his enemies. That's what God did for his enemies. If you've been born again, my friend, you are not his enemy. You are his child. Are you hearing me? If he loved you enough while you were his enemy to die for you, and Romans 5 teaches this, right? How much more, now that we've been reconciled to him, will we be saved by his life? Because he ever liveth, right? He ever liveth to make intercession for us. It's such a beautiful thing. It's such a beautiful thing. And so the, the, the lie, and I'm getting way ahead of myself, but the lie that the devil tells religion that's passed along to God's people from the pulpits across this world is that if you explain this to people, they'll use it as an excuse to sin when just the opposite is true. Titus 2.11 tells us that grace is it's an understanding of God's grace that will teach us to live righteously and soberly in a present evil world. 1 John chapter 3 tells us that whoever has this hope in Christ, it'll motivate you to purify your life even as Christ is pure. It's only when we understand the love that He has for us. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon those upon us that we should be called the children of God and we should be called the children of God because we are the children of God, right? And so it's when we understand these things is when we recognize the love that, that he has for us. I I, I stopped short of telling you this last week and I don't know why, but let me, let me get back to, we were talking about the passion of the Christ. And, um, there was a, a sister in the foundry. She came through this class and just on fire for God. And they, and, and, and at the foundry, they were watching the passion of the Christ. And, um, during the scene where they, were, where they were whipping and beating Jesus, with tears streaming down her face, she stood up in the middle of the whole movie, right? In the room where everybody's watching. She stood up the whole morning, and this is what she said She said, I'll never smoke another cigarette as long as I live. And sat back down. Everybody's like, What in the world? What motivated her to quit? When she realized, when she realized the price Jesus was willing to pay for her to be healthy. That's what motivated her. Do do you see this? When her eyes were open to how passionate he is and was about her being healthy and full of life, nobody don't go to hell if you don't quit smoking them cigarettes. No, none of that. None of that motivated anybody to change anything long enough for it to. But what did motivate her was when she saw for herself the price he was willing to pay, the suffering he was willing to endure for her to be healthy in her physical body. Do you see the difference here, see? Whoever has this hope in him will purify himself, even as Christ is pure. So the very thing that religion has has told us, you can't tell people this, they'll use it as an excuse to sin. First of all, we've never needed an excuse to sin. I kind of compare it to this. And this has been proven by both Democrats and Republicans. This is not a Republican idea. It, it often gets presented as a right-wing conservative conspiracy. It's John F. Kennedy did it, Reagan did it, um, others did it. Okay. And here it is. Are you ready? If you cut income tax, you will increase revenue into the federal government. It does it's it's like no. If you want more money in the federal government, you've got to increase tax. No, no, it's just the opposite. If you cut the tax, it gives people more disposable income to generate a, a higher gross national product, which translates into, into actual revenue coming into the government increasing. It's one of those things that doesn't sound like it would do it, but it actually does. So what in the world's that got to do with anything? See, again, we think if we, if we preach grace... If we preach unaccusable, unblameable, holy, can't even be accused of sin. Father no longer keeps a record of our sin, 2 Corinthians 5. He no longer holds our sin against us over our heads. Well, you can't tell people that. That'll make them think they can go. Again, it's just the opposite. When you, when you realize how much He loves you and when you realize what He's done for you, that becomes the motivation. Religion tries to scare and guilt, and shame, and condemn us into right living. And none of those things are in our toolbox. Jesus bled to death naked on the cross to set you free from fear guilt, shame, and condemnation. So who am I to stand up in front of you and try to shovel some condemnation and shame and guilt and fear on you, try to motivate you to, to live a right life? No, see, it's when you realize he's made me right, and because he's made me right, I'm right, and because I'm right, I can now live right. But if I stand up here and tell you you're a sinner, sinner saved by grace, but you're a sinner, right? Well, then all you can do is go out and, 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 you know, live contrary to who, try to live contrary to who I've told you you are. That'll never work. As long as you believe you're something, you're going to manifest the behavior that reflects that in your, li- in your, in your life. But if the Son makes you free, and, and, you, and you let Him help you renew your mind that you are just as free from sin, just as free from fentanyl, heroin, cigarettes, whatever, pornography, whatever. You're just as free from all of that as Jesus is. When you begin to see yourself free, that's when you start free indeed, free in your performed action. It's the plan of God. And and the only way we get there is grace. Amen. The only way we get there is, is God loving us enough to make us what we could never make ourselves and then believing that that's who he made us. And begin to walk that out in faith. Oh, thank you Jesus. I've been saved to the uttermost. I'm not partially saved, I'm completely saved. And the salvation that I've received is not fragile. One mistake by me is not going to unravel it and undo it and break it. and you know I, I, there's a song I, you, you, I don't know if you've ever heard of "Trying to stay saved." See, I can't maintain something I could never produce. I couldn't make myself righteous and I can't keep myself righteous. Only God can do that. And so as i would learned to trust Him and look to Him and follow Him, this is when all these other things come into alignment in my life. Amen? So I've been saved to the uttermost. Completely, wholly, entirely forever. Now, this isn't, I didn't make up this word. I didn't put this word in the Bible. I didn't write this verse. Nor am I bending or twisting or manipulating what this means. So, saved, completely, wholly, entirely forever, Jesus, only Jesus. See, the, the blood of a, of a calf or a bull or a goat or some Old Testament system, it couldn't do that. It could only cover over sin, not take it away. It could temporarily cover it over. It could temporarily appease the wrath of God because it was temporary propitiation. We don't have temporary propitiation anymore. We have eternal propitiation. We have eternal redemption. We have eternal justification. We have eternal reconciliation. We have eternal salvation. And because of that, we have an eternal inheritance. Not my words, God's. All from this beautiful book of Hebrews. Okay, all right, so how about this? One of my favorites, Hebrews 10 and 14. For by one offering of himself, not multiple over and over and over again, one offering he has, Jesus has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Hebrews 10 and 14. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now, I know it's been a minute since we pointed it out, but let me point it out to you one more time. How many things could the law make perfect? (laughs) <laughs> Zero. The law made nothing perfect. It could not perfect. It could not make whole. It could not make complete. It could not completely, wholly, entirely, forever save anything. How about those priests? Well, one of them had died and another take his place. Then he had died and another and take his place. But Jesus, a priest forever, an eternal priest eternal propitiation, eternal redemption, eternal justification, eternal, come on now, reconciliation. All right, let's jump in at Hebrews 2. Y'all got a minute or two left? We got, so 6.30, okay, I, I start seeing the singers and musicians get here and all that stuff, and praise God. Please, come on with it, Brother Donald. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, being reminded of, of your sin, there's no perfecting in that process. And the world and religion and even a lot of 12-step recovery see, they'll tell you you gotta be reminded of where you came from to keep you from going back there. Yes. Right? Yes. So they want you to continue to confess over yourself. Yes. No, that's not us. That's not us. It's not us at all, okay? Great point, Brother Donald. All right, um, let's see how far we can get through our quick tour of Hebrews. Now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to listen closely for the words eternal and anything associated with eternal, forever, derivatives of eternal. I want you to listen closely for for the word perfect or perfection or perfected, okay? Any variation of that word. And then also anything that has to do with the concept of once for all. Like, for instance, one sacrifice for all sin for all time. Amen. And those are words that are woven into the truth revealed to us in uh, the book of Hebrews. So, let's go to Hebrews chapter 2 and begin at verse number 10. Let's, we'll go 10 and 11, okay. For it was fitting for him, Jesus... For whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. It's a beautiful, beautiful verse there. So remember has perfected forever 10 and 14 those who are being sanctified. Are being sanctified is speaking of a progressive ongoing work. Has perfected forever is speaking of a past completed work with present tense um, benefits or circumstances, in our case, positive circumstances. So if you don't understand spirit, soul, and body, you will never understand this verse, but your spirit has been perfected forever. Your, your body was not born again, and your soul was not born again. Your soul is in a, in a state of being reconditioned and renewed, And our salvation will be complete when this mortal shall put on immortality. So have been saved, are being saved, shall be saved, past, present, future, spirit, soul, and body, as it relates to salvation and as it relates to sanctification. So he who sanctifies is God. And who do you think are those who are being sanctified? That's you and me. And yet while we are being sanctified, we are all of one. That's fellowship, okay? He who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren. You know, over, over the years in, in the in the line of ministry, field of ministry, that, that I have been privileged and honored to serve in and labor in, you know, there's been lots of situations where sometimes families are, are ashamed to admit that, yeah, that's my daughter or that's my son or what have you. But here's the thing, even if your mama's ashamed to, to admit that you belong to her, okay? Jesus isn't if you're born again. He isn't. Even when we're still learning and growing and, and, and uh, um, you know, dirtying our diapers and, and bloodying our knees and all the other stuff, right? He's, that's my girl, that's my boy, that's my son, that's, that's my brother. He's not ashamed to call Him brethren. Okay, it's a beautiful thing. All right, let's keep going here. Hebrews 5 and 9 says, And having been perfected, Jesus, having been perfected through the things that He suffered for you and me, having been per- By the way, His suffering, sometimes we, we downplay it. He, he, he suffered when He was tempted. You know, we think sometimes He only suffered on the cross. But, but there were a lot of things that He suffered. He suffered rejection. He suffered... People turning their back on him. Mean, There's all kinds of things that, that, that Jesus suffered and endured and without sin, and he did it for you and me. And, and, and so notice it says, having been perfected, things that Jesus suffered, went through, endured, he became the author, the originator, the founder of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Now, what? Um, a lot of people say, well, all, all who obey him. So, see, still doesn't qualify if you don't obey him. Obey here means to hear Him and respond to Him. Um, I could show it to you. won't take the time to do it right now. But in Romans it talks about those who obeyed that form of doctrine. And what does that mean? It means calling on the name of the Lord and receiving salvation. Okay, so amen. Well, let's just keep going. Hebrews chapter 7, now we're going to go verse 11. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law... What further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron, right? So notice what he's he's trying to show here that, listen, we've got enough track record now, we've got enough history with this Levitical priesthood that we we surely by now figured out it's not making anything or anybody perfect. And and so do you not see that, you know, it'd be one thing, I'm just kind of paraphrasing, helping you see this verse for, for what it's, you know, communicating here he's saying it like this he could listen it'd be one thing if the levitical priesthood was working <laughs> if it was turning out perf- perf- perfected people perfect you know spirits made perfect he's in it it's not so there was a need then that another priest should rise and this priest does not come from uh, a descendant of levi but from the order of melchizedek all right same chapter chapter 7 verse 19 for the law made nothing perfect we looked at this verse a moment ago for the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing of a better hope, bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God, which we draw near to God. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you labor and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, and you will find rest for your, For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, so that's that new and better hope, that greater invitation. Same chapter, chapter 7, verses 26, 27, and 28. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need, he does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. One sacrifice for all sin for all time. Once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been, and there's that word again, perfected forever. Hebrews chapter 9, let's jump now to chapter 9 and verses 9 through 15. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices were offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Okay? So he's talking about, again, the, the old system was symbolic and pointing to the new you sometimes hear it referred to as types and shadows in the Old Testament. It was types and shadows? So a type of Jesus, when they would, when the when the bird would be uh, uh, sacrificed in a, in a specific way, even in in that it was, uh, uh, you know, symbolic of Jesus being uh, crucified. And then when we, when a shadow, if somebody was to shine a really bright light in this direction, that camera would cast a shadow. The light is that way, and so the shadows are being cast back towards me. And so all these people in the in the old testament were headed in the direction of the new and the light of god was shining towards them and all of these things were casting shadows in their direction okay we don't live in the shadows anymore we live in the light the light has come so he's saying it was symbolic "...for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances, imposed until the time of Reformation." Okay, But Christ, so it was temporary, it was a stopgap, it was a donut spare tire until Christ came. "...but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect," there's that word again, "...tabernacle, not made with hands." That is, not of His creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood He entered the most holy place, there it is again, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh... How much more, flesh being the outward part, right, the body, Soma, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason He is the mediator of the new covenant, by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Amen. All right, what's your inheritance? What belongs to you because of who you are? Amen. All right, let's go to chapter 9 now. Chapter 9, verses 24, 25, and 26. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that He should offer Himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another, He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Put it away. That literally means like take it out of the picture altogether. Just put that thing away. Okay. Man, so much here. I'm trying to get to this last one. Let me see. Can you hang in here just another minute or two? I'm the only person that's got to be somewhere, right? All right, Hebrews. Are you Are you Amen? Are you okay with this? You're getting all right. Amen. See what See what it's showing us here. Hebrews chapter ten, verses one through four. For the law, Old Testament commandments, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, this is what Brother Donald was referring to a moment ago, but in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. But whose blood can, right? Hebrews chapter 10 verses 9 and 10. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Hebrews 10 and 14, not that we can hear it too many times. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And now let's go, this is the last one we'll look at and we'll pray, okay? Hebrews chapter 12. And this is where he's he's culminating. He's making this comparison to the the uh, Jewish forefathers coming out of slavery in Egypt, and when they came to Mount uh, Sinai, and God comes down on the mountain, and, and 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 you know this was obviously a huge event in their history. And so notice now what he says in comparison to that. But you have not come to Mount Zion. And to the city, um, I'm sorry, but you have come. If I'd have read all that, he was he talks about what we haven't come to, but what we have come to. So let me get this straight. Verse twenty two. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the General Assembly and Church of the Firstborn almost makes you want to sit up straight and almost, you know, to the General Assembly and Church of the Firstborn who are registered in heaven, to the to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Abel's blood cried out for justice. Jesus' blood cries out for us eternally now for mercy. Amen. 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 Notice now. When we came to Jesus, we came to Zion. We came to the city of the living God. We came to the heavenly Jerusalem. We're members, we're citizens, right? We, we are now in the company of innumerable angels. We're the general, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn registered in heaven. Your name's written somewhere in heaven. Amen. To the God, to God, the judge of all spirits of just men made perfect to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. The blood of sprinkling speaks better things than that of April. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, for every passage that we looked at tonight, we could have looked at least two or three more that are related in other places in the scriptures. Even things that are in the rich book of Hebrews, Father, that we did not take the time tonight to, to... to pull out and present. Yet, Father, I think that what we're seeing is more than enough (laughs) to impress upon us and reveal to us your heart's desire for each of your children to be saved to the uttermost, completely, thoroughly, entirely, wholly, forever. Thank you, Father, that we're registered in heaven, we're citizens, we're ambassadors We represent you, Lord, because you live in us and we live in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. All right, I hope you got some things out of this tonight. You be blessed. Thank you for those who are watching online. Uh, Much love. Good things coming. um, I'll see some of you in a minute, some of you Sunday, some of you before, some of you later. Praise God.